By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. There's something about not setting limits that drives me to want to just keep going and going and going. Okay. So if there's something that everyone's thinking, wow, this is kind of a real challenge, sign me up for it. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, the podcast that delves into the minds of entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspiring people to uncover their journeys towards finding joy and fulfillment at work and in life. My name is Ali, and in each episode, I chat to my guests about the philosophies, strategies, and tools that have helped them along the path to living a life of happiness and meaning. In this week's episode of Deep Dive, I chat to YouTuber and Ironman athlete Natasha Ocean. Frustrated by the gap between the findings of the scientific community and evidence-based information reaching the general public, Natasha left her PhD in biophysics to start a YouTube channel that tests fitness theories and translates the science behind health and fitness. She's amassed a following of over 2 million across her social media, and her goal is to make fitness science accessible to everyone. In our conversation, we discuss her feelings around quitting academia and her initial fears about putting herself on the internet. The feeling of having to get that scientific content out there to help as many people as possible so they didn't fall into the same traps that I did was more important to me than that initial feeling of being uncomfortable. And that's why I kept going for it. And the practice makes perfect, right? As well as uncovering how she cultivated mental resilience and self-awareness through athletic performance. So I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you, you famously do these Ironman things. Okay. Like, what on earth possesses someone to want to swim for two and a half miles cycle for 120 and then run for 20 like why why do people do this why do you why do you do this <laughs> um well it was like a part of my life that I just I really like setting challenges for myself okay just because I feel I feel like sometimes we can be really prone to setting limits for ourselves and being like no I'm not going to do that mm. or I can't do that and for me like I, there's something about not setting limits that drives me to want to just keep going and going and going. Okay. So if there's something that everyone's thinking, wow, this is kind of a real challenge, sign me up for it. Cause I just, I just <laughs> want to do, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just drives me to want to do something that I feel like in the past I would have been like, I can't, I can't do that. Okay. So I guess that for me is why I chose to do the Ironman. How, uh, how did you first get, how did you first get into it? Well, I, so I used to do a lot of athletics. I used, I grew up just being really active. My whole family was super active. So they never kind of let us play computer games. It was always just go outside, play, sign up to whatever you can and just be as active as possible. Yeah. So when I was younger at secondary school, I used to do a lot of athletics, but I used to get really badly injured from it. So a lot of the cross training that I had to do was in the pool, cycling, lot of low impact exercise rather than like the hard on the track sprinting hurdles high jump which gave me like ridiculously bad shin splints so I spent a good nine months doing cross training which was I think my gateway to doing triathlon because previously to that I hadn't really done any kind of much cycling yeah. or much I'd done some swimming but not really I never really took it to another level yeah. And then when I got to, it's really when I got to university, I was, I just thought, you know what, as well as doing my degree, I also just want to do an Ironman. 
Okay. And sometimes there's no real like rational yeah. thinking behind it. I was just like, I'm just going to do it because I feel like that's a real challenge that I can set myself. By the three years, once my three years is completed at uni, I'll do an Ironman. And so I just signed up to the triathlon club and started doing Ironman training. Okay. And it kind of, I liked it because it meant that I also could, didn't get super injured because I was, I could balance out the swimming, the cycling and the running and not do so much high impact with the running. And then I just ended up really liking the variety as well, rather yeah. than just doing one single sport. So while you were at university, you know, you're, you're doing your degree and on the side, you're training for triathlons and Ironmans and stuff. Like wh what did your schedule look like? It's, it was very seasonal. Okay. So, um, <sighs> I'm trying to remember now because it feels like a really a long while time ago. Yeah. Um, so I did biochemistry. So actually we had loads of lab days. Mm. So the days were kind of nine to five for, mo for most days, which is quite rare at uni because sometimes you have just like sporadic yeah. lessons here, lessons there, like especially like my English. Oh, Some of yeah. my, like, my English <laughs> like housemates. Like two lectures a week. We'd have two lectures a week. And I was like that, I, can't, I just can't even imagine it. Yeah. But um, yeah, ours was quite full on. And it would be morning training and then evening training mm. about five, six days a week. Um, but I will stress that during times of exams, I really took that down to like hardly anything. So maybe seven weeks, 10 weeks before my exams, I would just solely focus on revising and learning because my priority really was just getting... I wanted to get a first. Yeah. That was the one thing that I went to uni for. Okay. That's the one, like I was the first person out of my family to go to uni. So I was like, well, I need to do myself yeah, proud. I need to do challenge. my family proud. Yeah. Um, and so really like the triathlon was like a nice bonus, but it wasn't, no, it was okay. nowhere near as important. No, fair play. Um, so yeah, I guess what I mean by seasonality is that during the time, like term times, like the autumn term and then spring term, I could train in the morning, in the evenings, okay. um, as well as kind of manage the, manage the, like the workload from uni. And then during the summer term, hardly any training. Okay. Yeah. And then during the summer break, cause we would have really long breaks. That's what I love about uni is you get amazingly yeah, long breaks. Stupidly long. Yeah. Um, and then it was just like all training. Okay. So then I would do like no work, all training. And then I would just get back, oh, sorry. See, I told you your microphones would get damaged <laughs> yeah. somehow. Um, and yeah, and then there would be loads of training during summer. And then again, it would just kind of go back into that kind of routine. So is, is, is training, yeah, is, okay. is training for these things fun? Is that, I, yeah. well, so with triathlon, it's quite a social sport. Okay. It's a social sport with the triathlon club at university. So there was a lot of us and people do different disciplines as well so some people would just be doing sprint triathlon some people do olympic distance some people do half ironmans and some people do the full okay. but when you train at uni like you do a lot of the training together you just kind of get split up into like a lane that maybe focuses more on endurance um and so that is quite fun because you get to meet really really great you get to meet people who have the same interests as you who yeah. understand what it's like to go through uni and also train that hard, which yep. is something that I didn't share with my housemates. Yep. So my housemates were like, why don't you come out? And eventually I, start, I stopped getting the invites to yep. come out because they just, they just knew. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when it came to doing my Ironman, actually it's kind of a sad story in third year, we unfortunately had to kind of kick, 
not kick our coach out, but there was like a, <laughs> because a lot of the way that sports clubs are run at uni yeah. is that they're run by students. That, was kind of, that wasn't how the triathlon club was run at the time. Mm. It was run by the coaches and they would pick compliance students, which ended up being me, to be president. Or, oh, yeah. And so when they wanted something done, they would just say, can you sign this off? I would sign it off because I just wanted to please someone. Yeah. And I was compliant. Okay. And, um, and we started to realize it. In, in my third year, we started to realize that actually this is kind of, is not right because we weren't doing, we weren't a student club. It wasn't a student run club. It was run by the coaches yeah. who were like in their 40s, 50s and weren't really like, they'd gone to the university, but they hadn't, they weren't affiliate. They weren't students. They weren't professors. Yeah. And so that kind of caused a massive rift. Like it was too much drama for me to handle. <laughs> and that last year became quite a lonely year because okay. it just meant that a lot of the training I mean, I hate conflict. Yeah. I hate it with a passion. Okay. So that meant that I would detour my route to like the to uni or I would just do a lot more training on my own. And so the training becomes lonely, but if you if you enjoy it, it's not that lonely. I, I, I guess it's not it's less boring than you might think yeah. because it's not as it's not the same as just saying, okay, I'm just gonna go out for a cycle. Like the cycle rides are more planned than that. So you mm. can create routes for yourself where you're doing hill sprints between that route. And in during those hill sprints, you're doing a particular cadence. You're, you're putting out a particular power output yeah. and you always have to hit those power outputs. So in that sense, it's more like, think of it as kind of like a really good spin class, but you're outside enjoying the environment. Okay. And so in that sense, it's not, it's not super boring. It's not that repetitive. Yeah. It's quite repetitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not as repetitive as you might think. Oh, but yeah, I mean, I, I did sometimes take Mario. Mario is like, this just, I don't like this. Mm. I don't, it's not really for me. And I, and I get that as well, because it can, it can just be quite... Yeah, like I tried, um, I've got a few friends from, from uni who were super, super into the whole cycling, triathlon-y type stuff. They had, they had the whole Lycra and everything. <laughs> and one time, one of my friends took me out for like a, I think it was a 15K cycle. And by the end of it, like, I, I couldn't feel my bum anymore. I was like, why, why is this fun? We stopped off at some, like... You have to find... To be honest, <laughs> yeah. like, if you find a bad saddle, that's game over. Oh, straight okay. Away. So maybe the saddle's wrong. <laughs> maybe the saddle, maybe the cycling shorts, you need some padding. Did you have padding? No, I was just wearing my kind of... I mean, it's game over. Straight oh, away okay. from there. Yeah, like, there's loads of small tips and tricks that you get learned, that you get taught um, over the course of time where you need to put, like, chafing cream on... Oh. Wow. Loads of things. Okay, that yeah, just so make that the was whole the experience stuff. a lot more pleasant. Got it. Yeah, that was the stuff I didn't. I didn't get into at all. It was just like this endless cycle. Like, when are we going to stop? It was like, oh, we've got another seven k to go. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Maybe they're not friends. They might have just been pulling a leg. Maybe, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, let's put him on this horrific saddle. Yeah. Tell him to wear whatever he usually wears. <laughs> He's never going to want to do it again. <laughs> um. So, so in your third year, you had this kind of drama going on in in the club which meant that it was a kind of a less social activity, but you said that you enjoyed it anyway, so? I still enjoyed it because I had the end goal of doing the Ironman. So for me, and also I like working in teams, but yeah. when it comes to sports, sometimes it hasn't brought out the best in me. Mm. Okay. So what do you mean? In the sense that <laughs> um, I remember playing rounders when I was a kid <laughs> and just trying to do everyone's job and just screaming all over the place. 
And it's just, and I think, and also I'm very competitive. Okay. So if people aren't sharing that same level of enthusiasm, it annoys me. Okay. <laughs> but I think I've kind of, I've developed enough self-awareness now to realize that I'm, I'm like that. Got it. Um, so I am a lot better at working in teams. But at okay. the time, I wasn't really much of a team player. So solo sports tended to fare better with me. Because like, if something, like if I lost, that's only, that's only my fault. And I can't blame anyone else yeah. other than myself. Okay. And I think that was a good place for me to be in at the time. Yeah. So very, very competitive, but you also don't like conflict. Yeah. And I guess that can be a, a, a tricky combination sometimes. <laughs> But I think I think I'm competitive, and then I just do things that it's just I just kind of I'm just kind of working on myself. Like with Iron Man, I wasn't even really going in to do a race. I just wanted to complete it. Um, it I was really shocked when I came second because mm. I I just wanted to complete it. That was really my goal, um, and yeah, I wasn't really going in to compete with anyone as such. Yeah, on that note, how, how do you feel generally about about goals goals in relation to goals that, that are within your control versus goals that are potentially outside of your control? Like within your control is, I'm gonna finish the race to the best of my ability. Outside of your control to an extent is, I want to hit a certain time or rank a certain position or compete with other people in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And often when it comes to kind of especially like YouTube, Instagram, influencing business, that kind of stuff, you know, I think people encourage us to set these out outcome goals like, oh, you know, let's aim to hit a certain KPI, a certain subscriber count by a certain amount of time, <laughs> Yeah. which always felt to me as being a bit like, oh, but it's not within my control. <laughs> yeah. If, do you, do you yeah, it's I mean? like yeah. it very, it very slightly is in the sense that you might have like luck or you can kind of gear your content to being more viral yeah. um, or more applicable to a wide stream audience so that it might have a better chance of going viral. Yeah. But in the sense, but in that sense where it's something that's out of your control, I mean, it's out of your control. Like I, I think over time, I, I don't really let that get to me because I guess I don't get my fulfillment out of, goals that can't be that are out of my control as in if something happens like it happens that's great but that wasn't out of any of my doing like mm. if I hit that KPI I could have just been really lucky like yeah I worked hard but like sometimes you're just really lucky and that's yeah. just out yeah. of your control and you can't be you can't be over the moon about something that was out of your control that went your way mm. because that would just be I don't know credit where credit's due like yeah, it, it could have just like, been like, it could that, have been a hundred other things. Yeah. And so I guess when it comes to, I, I don't, yeah, when things are out of my control, I don't really, I don't really worry so much. I don't let yeah. it affect me. Lots of us go through life with a bit of a love-hate relationship with STEM subjects. In theory, the idea of learning how the world works in science and learning how to build websites with computer science is really awesome. But when you're plodding your way through formulas in a science class or trying to understand code, it can be a bit dry and boring. The way I like to learn more about this stuff in a fun and engaging way is with Brilliant, who are kindly sponsoring this episode. Brilliant have a ton of courses that teach maths, science, and computer science with visual examples and interactive challenges along the way so that you can learn by doing. One of my favorite courses in Brilliant is actually the computer science series, especially the introduction to algorithms and the fundamentals of programming with Python. I was actually considering applying for computer science rather than medicine at university, and I ended up going down the medicine route, which I don't regret, but 
I never really understood computer science. And although I knew how to code, I didn't really understand the foundational algorithms and structures behind the field of computer science. So I really enjoyed checking out Brilliant's courses on that. And also their course on cryptocurrency is absolutely sick. And without that course, I really would not have understood how Bitcoin, for example, works. Anyway, if you want to improve your math, science and computer science, then head over to brilliant.org forward slash deep dive. And the first 200 people to sign up via that link will get 20% off the annual subscription to Brilliant. So thank you very much, Brilliant, for sponsoring this video. So I guess you got a lot more fulfillment out of the fact that you finished the Iron Man than the fact that you came second in your, in, yeah. your, in your category. Okay. Yeah. What was it like doing it for the first time, the Iron Man? So it was actually amazing. Really? It was really, it was really fun because the day is organized really, really well. Okay. And you've got everyone in this, well, I was doing it in Barcelona. You've got everyone doing the same event. To be honest, I was a bit nervous because you get a lot of people that have spent like thousands of pounds on their equipment. Mm. And it, sometimes it makes you feel a bit insecure because I, I was a student, I had absolutely no money. I could barely afford the race. So my bike was a real like, like a patchwork quilt of just people giving me a tire here, okay. a wheel here. We've managed to find this carbon fiber frame on eBay for about 250 pounds. And me and my coach wired it all together. And like, it really was not a state of the art at yeah. all. My helmet was a skateboard helmet because that was the most aerodynamic thing I could find. Aero, aero, aero helmets are so expensive. Oh, okay. So um, yeah, everyone had really amazing kit and that made me feel a little bit intimidated at first, mm. but the whole day is run so well. Like it's done really well. There's always, um, everyone gets really excited. There's always a really big crowd as well. So it makes you, they keep pushing you right to the end. I remember the marathon, which is the slowest marathon I've ever run because I was just exhausted. <laughs> that kind of 30 kilometer mark, there were still people out just cheering you on and it makes you feel, you get energy from that and it okay. really helps you. So that's something you don't get in training. And so I think it was, it made all the training worth it. Nice. And, then, <laughs> and there's like music going yeah. and it's, it's just really well organized. So you just, it feels really nice. Okay. That's really interesting to hear because I would have thought doing an Ironman, it would be a case of, oh, it's, it's a lot of suffering while you're doing it. And then at the end, you're like, oh, I'm really glad I did that. But it sounds like you had a nice time throughout. Yeah, well, I think because I wasn't going in, I almost went in pacing myself. I wasn't going in to win. I think if you're going in to win and you're really going into race, yeah. it's savage. <laughs> I, I mean, to do the Ironman in eight hours, is, it's nuts. The speed they're going at the whole time is I can't fathom it like it's incredible but um yeah I think if you're going in it just to complete it like I was mm. and you're well prepared and you know what your nutrition is and you know you know that you've done all of the training that you can then it's and you're pacing yourself I really was pacing myself like it's it's yeah. fine okay so I was, I was highly recommend. To, <laughs> I don't, so I was, I was listening to David Goggins audiobook Can't Hurt Me um, okay, the other day. And I was and he talks a lot about how, you know, Ironmans and Ultramans and all this stuff. And his whole thing is about how, you know, you you realize the power of the human mind and unlocking another layer level of performance. And 100%. yeah, what's what's that feeling like? What's that feeling like for you when you're sort of, you know, halfway through an Ironman, you know, you've got another half of it to go. So, um, I tend to think of things in stages. I, I did an ultra marathon last year, actually, for a video where I was running, was it 50K? I think it was 50K. And um, rather than thinking, uh, rather than breaking the, 
breaking the ultramarathon down into 50 kilometers or more, I just, I created two loops for myself and I just thought of it as two loops. I don't know why breaking it down into not many, um, not that many, what's the word, like sections or like just two things really helped me get through it and think, oh, it's not so bad. With the Ironman, I just thought of it as one swim, one bike and a run. Mm. And so when I did, when I finished the swim, I was like, cool, I'm third third of the way. (laughs) When I did the bike, I was like, cool, that's the bike done. And And when I'm doing the bike, I'm also thinking, I'm not thinking about the marathon after. I'm just thinking, right, let's just think about getting off the bike. And then when you've, and then when you've done the, and when you're doing the marathon, I break it down into the laps that we were doing, which were 10 kilometer laps. And I just thought, right, one lap done, two laps done, three laps done, four done. So what's, so what's going through your mind when you, uh, I mean, anytime I've tried to do any run of any kind, I get to that point where I'm like, you know what? My Apple watch is telling me I've done a kilometer already. My feet are kind of hurting. I could just quit. And often I'm like, you know what, there, there's a, there's a coffee van over there. I could get a nice oat milk latte. We'll have a nice walk home. And then, I, and then I end up quitting. <laughs> but the people who actually do running presumably have that thought of, I could just quit. And then they just keep going. Yeah. So what do you tell yourself to, to keep going in those moments when your, your mind and body are saying, oh, you know, but you could just quit. Do you know what? That thought never crosses my mind really? that I could just quit. Okay. And it's really weird because even when I do, um, even when I'm training at the gym, quitting never feels like an option. It doesn't even cross my mind. It's like I couldn't even quit if I wanted to. Oh, wow. I don't even know. I don't, but I, I don't really know where that comes from. It's just that that thought never crosses my mind. But with the distances when you're running, I will say that the more you train for something, the shorter distances feel. So yes, a marathon feels like a long run, but if you're going for long runs all the time it, and you're, you're, ca- you're always doing a 20 kilometer run, you just think, oh, I'm run- just running double that. Yeah. And distances feel a lot shorter in your mind. So, so, that, so, that, so there is like a mind training as well that happens when you, when you train for longer distances okay. where things just feel shorter in your mind. And, and does the sort of training training to do Ironmans and that kind of stuff, do you find that the sort of mind benefits translate to other aspects of your life as well? Or is it quite like confined to that one arena of... I think it gives you a lot of mental resilience. Okay. So whenever... So in that same vein, when I'm saying like, I, I can't, like the thought of quitting just isn't an option. Mm. I think of that in every aspect of life. Okay. Whether it's when it comes to work or relationships or anything like it's just I mean it depends if it's a really bad relationship <laughs> or but, depends if it's a PhD <laughs> but um yeah oh yeah my PhD I did quit um but um yeah I guess it just it gives you a lot of strength knowing that you've you've done something you've proved yourself that you can do something yeah. that means that if you feel tired or in a rut or whatever yeah. you can get through it as well I think but actually, one of the things that I found I was more, gave me more of that was when I was able to do a backflip. Not because, like, some people always are able to do a backflip and it's nothing. It's really just a personal thing for me. But I managed to do a backflip on my own without assistance. And I, I don't, I'm not going to do it now. 
<laughs> I was going to say that, that. That's pretty cool. I'd love to be able to do that. But that, it took me two years to get. And it was so emotional for me. And I was like, you know what? I managed to do that. And so you just have to keep pushing through. And so I just apply that to other okay. aspects of life. If I want the reward at the end, which I didn't for my PhD. Yeah. And that's okay. why I didn't. That's why I quit. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that because... Um, I was, uh, Stephen Bartlett talks about this in his, his book as well, where he talks about kind of a quitting framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and his model for this is, I, th- I think something like, you know, will, will this be hard work? Uh, and is the reward worth it? And if the reward is worth it and it will be hard work, then it's, it's worth doing. And if it's going to be fun, then it's, it's worth doing anyway. But if the answer, if, if it's not worth it, then there's no point in like suffering through a lot of hard work that you're not enjoying just for the sake of this reward that you actually don't want. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I guess, so you're, I think you pr- would, have, would have graduated um, undergrad at 21, done the Ironman then, mm-hmm. and then you decided to start a PhD. Was it straight after? Or did you have like a master's in the middle? Straight after. Okay. Yeah. Then when, when did the YouTubing career start? Like in this whole after thing? After PhD. Okay. Yeah. I started doing my PhD and there was nothing else going on. Okay. I was solely focused on that. And then I saw, um, have you ever heard of the Banff Film Festival? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's pretty famous. Yeah. Yeah. I went to... Uh, most people haven't. So. Oh, I mean, among, amongst like the videographer type community people oh, okay. whose YouTube videos I watch, it's, it's famous. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I went to see it once and that was maybe six months into my PhD. Yeah. And I remember just looking at these ama- amazing camera work, amazing stories being told. And I'm always a really outdoorsy person, super outdoorsy. And it was just, it was incredible. Yeah. And I sat there and I was like, do I actually enjoy what I'm doing? Because prior to that, I, I had never had any self-awareness. So prior to that, I'd never ever questioned whether I was happy or not. Being honest, in my undergraduate, I wasn't really happy. Mm. Like if you'd asked me straight up, how are you? Yep. I probably would have cried. Oh, wow. Just, just because that whole question just opens up so much. Like, yeah. how am I? I don't know. I'm stressed. <laughs> yeah. I'm freaking out. I'm nervous. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not happy. Um, and watching the Banff Film Festival was one of those moments where I just sat and I thought, I don't think I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm just doing a PhD because I'm at a great uni. Um, the reputation is really good. At the end, I'll get a doctorate. <laughs> is that the only reason I'm doing it? And I think, like, being self-aware, you have to be completely honest with yourself in a non-biased way in the moment. How are you feeling? Mm. And I, and being honest with myself, that was the answer. I was purely doing it for the reputation, for the doctor at the start of my name, not because I was really enjoying it. Like if you, I didn't really enjoy the work. In fact, it's funny because I talk about my PhD and I, I like the project, but I like doing an undergraduate better in the sense that I, when you do a PhD, you become, it's very much about optimizing for a particular experiment and you spend six months optimizing for a particular experiment. So you actually become an engineer of mass spectrometry. Right. You, don't, you become an engineer. Like, you know the machine so well. Yeah. But all that biochemistry that you learn in undergrad, just it's yeah. not important anymore because you're just trying to optimize for this one um, experiment. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that I was forgetting the biochemistry that I loved mm. and that I was just becoming so specialized in one thing. Um, and I, it took me like a while to process what I'd gone through during that BAMP film festival. And slowly, slowly over the course of 
another six months, I was like, yeah, no, I'm really doing this for the wrong reason. When I was doing my PhD, I liked watching YouTube videos. Yep. I've always been into fitness. I, but I felt like there was a lot of misinformation on, in the fitness industry on YouTube because there was nothing that was science-backed. Mm. Everything was anecdotal. And I had had, I had had, I had developed like relationships with food or relationships with over-exercising that I can attribute to social media because at the time I was really easily influenced, didn't really look at things critically mm. and just believed things that were said. Like yeah. if people said it in a nice way and they looked really pretty yeah. and things like that and everything looked really nice, I would go along with it. And that meant that I ended up in a position where I wasn't, I wasn't really performing well because I wasn't training properly. I wasn't um, eating properly. Yeah. And, and my PhD, I think what they didn't do with my, uh, my undergrad is we weren't taught to critically analyze papers, but that's what we did really well at UCL mm. is a lot of it was really well analyzing papers. Look at the methodology. Is it flawed? How is this study carried out? Where is this study published? All of these things make a huge difference. And I realized at that point, like there's a real gap here. There's a gap in on YouTube where there's scientifically based yeah. fitness content that is delivered in a really friendly, accessible way. Um, and that's kind of where I started. So once I finished my PhD, then I, sorry, my MPhil, yeah. I was tutoring and starting to think about making uh, YouTube videos. Okay, so so when you had that moment of kind of those, the, that period of realization where, oh, maybe I'm doing this for the wrong reasons, mm -hmm. that feels like it would be quite, quite a scary thing because you've been working for this thing and following this sort of ladder and then you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I've been climbing the wrong, the wrong ladder. Yeah. And if... Uh, if you're a sort of side hustle tutoring, what was going through your mind in terms of like what you were going to do with your career, what you were going to do with your life? Like, were you thinking about those things before you decided to quit? To be honest, I don't think I, it's a weird thing to look back on because I don't think I was fully present okay. in that moment. There was a lot of reflection. There was a lot of thinking about the future and there wasn't a much thinking about the actual present I, I wasn't I only really developed self-awareness like a couple of years later so in that moment I think I was just so flustered that I didn't really all I knew was that it felt wrong okay and so in terms of thinking oh is this going to harm my career or whatever I didn't worry so much about it okay I think because I and I still think this, like, if I really want to go and do science again, mm. can, can I swear? By all means, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Like, yeah. I just go and sign myself up yeah. in, like, to an undergraduate and then go through the whole process again. If I have to, if I want to, if that is really what, in even 10 years' time, I decide that actually I made the complete wrong thing, okay. I'll just go off and do that again. Like, it always felt like I wasn't closing a door in that sense. Mm. Um and so, yeah, I, I guess, and I was in such a, I was really down. Like, I think back then, like, it would have been depression, although I hadn't really, I wasn't really seeing anyone for it, but mm -hmm. I struggled to wake up. I always felt tired. I had no drive to do anything, mm -hmm. even things I enjoyed. I just, what's the point? And so I think because that feeling was so strong, yeah. 
I just, I was just like, no, it's not right. Interesting. Because like, I often speak to people who are in the middle of doing something that they feel like mm, maybe this was a bad idea. Uh, a lot of the time, the people I speak to are doctors in particular who are doing, you know, practicing medicine and feel like, mm, maybe I made the wrong toy choice 10 years ago when I decided to go into medicine. Mm. It's a really hard one. I don't yeah. think the education system here helps us much because you have to start specializing when you're 14. Yeah. It's How like, do you know? Suddenly you have to start gearing your work experience, volunteering, et cetera, because you've decided I want to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Your A-levels, yeah. all of that starts to just get funneled down and as, as early as the age of 14 yeah. when you have no idea. And I think it like doesn't equip you that well for um, like a world that you need multiple skills. Like no, it's, yeah. it serves, I think I've done better not being specialized than being specialized. Mm. Yeah, because I guess within biochemistry, you could have gone full on into any of those like subspecialties, just become a pro mass spectrometer forever and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. I was yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into... I'm going to go into doing biochemistry, then I'll get my PhD, then I'll get a postdoc, then yeah. I'll work my way to becoming a professor. Okay. That was, that was like my career. And then, but I think when I saw that BAM film festival, it reignited, because I've a little bit like you, you said you were really creative. You did mm. graphic design, right? Yeah. Um, my thing was textiles. And oh, I, okay. <laughs> I always, I just, I love it. Like I love the artwork of it. I'm not so much like a, no, it's not really like the high street stuff that I like. It's really like the high end architectural stuff. Okay. Sorry, I've scraped your mic again. It's all good. Um, it's really the high end architectural stuff where there's just so much intricacy in it that it's in so much manipulation of a particular fabric. Like that's the stuff that I really enjoy. Okay. And and um, and so when I saw the Banff Film Festival, I was like, well, I want to do something that's more creative, and I love fitness, and I and I since having done like my MPhil, I can, I'm now reading all of this scientific evidence on training and nutrition that I feel like I've never heard of on social media. That's not the message. What I'm reading here from these papers is not what's coming out yeah. um, to all of us in like magazines on the media, etc. Um, and I just, I think I knew that I wanted to be a part of that so much that it didn't feel like so much of a leap of faith. Got it. I also don't really have, I don't really care so much about what other people think either. Mm, okay. Like I really, I really don't. So my professors were like a bit embarrassed that I was leaving because yeah. it's not a thing that you do. You don't quit a PhD. Yeah. Most people that get a start <laughs> yeah, a PhD, they just stick yeah. it out. Um, and I think the uni also kind of looked down on you a little bit, but I, I just don't care. I was just like, I'm going to do it. So you started, started the YouTube channel. Yeah. What was like, what happened next? What were the early days like? The early days were beyond cringe. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> I think the first ever video I made, which I've taken down and I don't even know where it is. I wish I still had it. Yeah. Um, is this Halloween fitness video. Don't ask me why I did it. I just, it was a Halloween like skit fitness mm. video. It was horrendous. Okay. <laughs> but I remember just going to Pure Gym at like midnight filming it on a phone <laughs> and then that was my first ever video okay. I think and then other videos I don't know why that was my first video I think I was just thinking yeah let's just do something like a little bit fun mm. um and then then it started being more um like 
uh, informational videos. Okay. But I was, I was really, I really struggled with speaking in front of the camera. I was really camera shy. Even, I, I'd say even like a year and a half in okay. is when I started getting comments from people saying, oh, it feels like your personality is coming through. Okay. Because the first year and a half, it, I felt so much more comfortable filming things and being behind camera. Mm. So a lot, even like my what I eat in a day would be three minutes long, no talking, mm. just video edited, food being put together and like just, and that's it. And so it really took me a really long time to warm up to speaking in front of camera. So a lot of the early, early days yeah. are just, it's hard to watch. Yeah, it's really hard to watch. Because this, the, I don't think you'll find them anymore. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so the the speaking to camera thing, um, you know, these days I have have a lot of contact with uh, beginner YouTubers who are wanting wanting to get started, wanting to stay consistent with it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the prime things that holds people back is a I'm worried what my friends and family and parents will think, and b I don't know if I can I'm 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 not confident on camera. Yeah. Um, so you decided to start a YouTube channel despite knowing that you weren't that confident on camera. Yeah, I think because the thing is, I feel like I really had something to make. Like I, there was, there really is, there was really a gap for scientifically based content that mm. delivered in a really fun way, a really accessible way. Um, and I just felt like that wasn't being met, but it meant that I really had to go through that initial uncomfort, uh, like feeling uncomfortable about it to get to that stage. Okay. Um, and yeah I mean even though it was kind of like unpleasant and awkward and it, I couldn't have anyone else in the room whilst I talked to a camera mm. it just it, because I knew I wasn't being myself I knew that there was a part of me that I just I couldn't get it out in front of camera yeah. and but because the feeling of having to get that scientific content out there to help as many people as possible so they didn't fall into the same traps that I did yeah was more important to me than that initial feeling of being uncomfortable. And that's why I kept going for it. And the practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. Like I personally hate public speaking. I hate it. It makes me feel so nervous, mm. but I'm still going to do it because I'm not going to die. I might <laughs> die of cringe. Like looking back, I'll be like, Oh, that was really badly delivered. Or you really don't sound eloquent or whatever it is, but I'm not going to die. Like it's, it's not the worst. It's going to happen. It's just, yeah. If people say stuff, they say stuff. Like I've spent, I mean, I don't know if you have siblings. I have a younger brother. Like you just, yeah, <laughs> you just take the piss out of each other all the time. Yeah. And it is what That's it fine. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, how was the growth in the early days? Like, can you remember how many videos it took you to hit a thousand subscribers or kind of those? I think the growth was really slow. I mean, the early, early videos that because they were so bad, like I, I'm, not like I'm not surprised like they they were just really bad videos like mm. hard to watch yeah there was some information but like someone else has delivered that information better mm. um and so I really can't remember I think I started in 2000 I think I started in 2016 and I think by the end of 2016, I don't know when I started in 2016, mm. but in t by the end of 2016, and I did one video, which was kind of like a, sometimes you do these videos that are kind of, you, you don't necessarily want to do them, but they're good to do because it gets your channel out there. And 
that at the time was cheat day challenges. Okay. So I did a cheat day challenge that got, I think, a million views or something. And that grew me my first 10K. Okay. And so, and then at the start of 2000, but I don't know how many videos I posted until then. I think maybe I had maybe 15 videos. I'm not sure. Okay. Something like that. So not very many. It was still like a really early channel. Mm. Um, yeah, that grew me 10K. And then and then I, I don't fully remember. Things really did happen like stepwise though. Like I never had like a one video that just everything took off from there. Yeah. It just kind of, it ha really happened quite gradually. Okay. Which I actually appreciate because I think sometimes it's nice to grow with your audience mm. as well and get to know them. One of the things that I always do with my YouTube videos, I try and reply to as many comments as I can as possible. Mm. It's really important for me to feel close to my audience. And I think that also gives me the confidence to, to speak to them in a way that I would with my, to any friend that I have. But I really do treat them like friends because many of the like comments that I get are still from people that I've seen from three years ago um, that have kind of stuck with me the whole time. Okay. And so I think getting to know your your audience as you grow yeah. is really important. And it, it, it made me feel more confident. And it made me feel... Because I think if, I, if it just happened all in one go, there's kind of like a, oh, I don't know what to say. There's kind like of a I disconnect, isn't there, between you yeah. and the audience then? Yeah. Like the people like, who go viral overnight, it's like, oh, what do you do now? Yeah. And I, I for that, I'm, I'm kind of grateful because I think I would have struggled the other way yeah okay even though as a youtuber you're always like oh i just when's that break gonna come <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> yeah so in the in the sort of like first first 15 or so videos where you're not getting that much traction you're putting the videos out it feels really hard you're like oh this is terrible yeah. that 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 kind of thing what was it that kept you going um and continuing to make the videos even though like video number one wasn't a viral hit i think Really, like it's what I what I said before. Yeah. Just like I, that mission driven it, thing of yeah. I want evidence based fitness stuff. I just want to help as many people as possible. Okay. Um, I want to help. I want to empower as many people as possible to understand the science mm. and be able to use that how they want in their training. Um. So, yeah, I'll give I give like recipe ideas, but or but I don't really give cookie cutter things. It's more about allowing people to understand the fundamentals mm. of training, training smart, eating properly, and then whatever your diet, however you like to train, you can use those principles. And, and you have the power because you know that it's science, scientifically backed. And that, because I think I, I had got into a position where I was so confused about training and nutrition, I really didn't want anyone else to feel that way. Okay. And so I felt like it was like my duty. I was like, no, this is my calling in life. Like I really need to, let's get to the bottom of this. Like let's really try and help as many people as possible. And that's why sometimes I did videos that I, like I didn't necessarily, didn't always particularly want to do because I knew that that would give me the tools to reach more of the audience. Yeah. Like sometimes my titles will say, like it will talk about fat loss in a certain way. Mm. Because I know that at the time where I was struggling, where I didn't have a clue about what was going on with like fitness or nutrition, I would have clicked on that title yeah. because someone else will do it and they'll deliver it with poor information. Mm. And so, yes, there's always like a compromise between that marketing as well. Okay.
So it sounds like you're, you had a clear kind of strong why behind the thing that you were doing and that let you be like, all right, yeah, this is just what I'm going to do because yeah. I have this message that wants to come out. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, when did... How was it for you? For me, my why behind it was a bit more, uh, it was a bit less altruistic. Um, <laughs> it was... That's okay. It doesn't have to be though. Yes. Yeah, so I, was, I was running a business that, that helped uh, people get into med school by teaching courses for the BMAT and UCAT and those exams and things. And I thought, oh, there's no good free information about this stuff on the internet. Great, let me make YouTube videos teaching people how to do this exam stuff in the hope that maybe if, I don't know, 100 people watch this video, one or two of them will think, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Let me sign up to his course. So it was started off as a marketing driver for, for the courses. But then very quickly, it was like uh, there were medical applicants in the comments being like, oh, can you do a video about interviews? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Let's get all my friends on camera giving, giving interview tips, stick it on YouTube. That got traction. Oh, can you do a video about personal statements? Sure. <laughs> you know, that, and it sort of grew in, in that way. But I always had in the back of my mind that I don't just want to do this for fun. I want to treat this properly like a business. And so when I started, it was a case of I'm going to like without fail one video every week for the next like three years um, and see what happens. And I kind of knew that my first 100 videos were going to be crap because I knew nothing about I was bad at camera. I was bad at video editing, didn't know anything about anything. But I knew that if I just did enough of it, then eventually I'd get to the point where the videos might even be decent. Did you save the good ideas for later on once you knew you'd get better? Ooh, yeah, I had one good idea that I knew was going to be a banger. It was a video about evidence-based study tips because this was something no one ever teaches us. Uh, I'd done a lot of uh, research into that in my third year when I did a BSc in psychology. So I was like, I've got a banger presentation on how to study for exams the, with, with all the evidence. I just need to turn that into a video. But that needs to be like my 100th video rather than my first video because I'm just not good enough at the video thing to, to do justice to, to this thing. Yeah. What, what about you? Do, were you? Were you holding back banger ideas? There are times now where I hold something back mm. because I know that... I know that... that what am I trying to say? Um, like the circumstances will come in right where like there's... We've got like the right equipment to film this, or we have like the funds to be able to hire like a specific, uh, like um, not event, a venue. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, like even the Iron Man video, I've we've wanted to do that for a long time, but I wanted to do it in the right circumstances. So be able to have a drone, be able to do drone yeah. footage, <laughs> be able to hire the Olympic pool, yeah. all of these things. Like the budget is more for a video like that than than a regular. Um, video so some videos I'll I'll wait just a bit um but a lot of the videos I if I'm making something I make it so that it's as timeless as can be yeah. so especially with the science the science explained videos those I will I tend it's not I don't feel like I've had to wait but I will spend a long time making it mm. because I know that I only have one shot like I'm not going to make that video again okay um, it's not some, some videos you just can't keep milking. Like, and, and I also from as a, as a creator, like I don't like repeating myself. I don't like having to always do the same thing over and over and over again. Like I like to do it, do it really, really well to the best of my abilities. And then cool. I've done that. I've done that topic. We can leave that now. Yeah. So, yeah. so within within that first year, maybe around 2016 time, you went to 10K subs off the back of this um, cheat day video. Yeah. When did YouTube start becoming commercially viable for you? 
What was um, so I think I hit, I think that was like July, 2017. I think, I think I was about like 150k subs okay. where I was like, okay, now I feel like I can spend a really good amount of time just focusing on YouTube okay. and I can say goodbye to my tutors, to like, like my tutees. Yeah. And it worked quite well as well. Cause it was like the end of, oh, their, end of the year. So you don't have to find year. new people. Yeah. So, was so that, I wasn't was they, kind of just leaving yeah, parents just, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> like just before exams. Yeah. Yeah. And were you doing, were you doing everything yourself at the time or did you have an editor? Like what was the sort of, the, um, no, I think I was doing everything myself. I think Mario helped me a little bit as well. Mm but mainly everything myself. Okay. And did you know how to edit videos and do the camera stuff before you started or? No, did you I learned just, all that on the job. Just taught myself, yeah. I feel like one thing I'm good at is I'm really quick at learning. So I just I just taught myself and and I wanted it so bad, right? So yeah. you just you just teach yourself whatever you need to teach yourself. Yeah, I find that uh, you know a lot of um, but the editing wasn't like good at the start. No, like, it, it's it always improves. really shit. It but, improves over yeah. time. Yeah. You it, think it's amazing when you've done, like in the early days, so I was like, like this oh, is yeah. shit, man. I've got no a crossfade transition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing. Yeah. I think like um, generally when I speak to uh, older folk, they're always surprised that, oh, you know, how, how can you just do this without a background in that or without a formal qualification in the thing? Um, whereas I think kind of, our generation and younger just ch tends to assume you can just teach yourself anything on the internet. Yeah. Um, and so who cares if you've never done video editing or never known how to use a camera, there's YouTube tutorials for everything out there. If you go into that mind, yeah, you're right. Some, sometimes I speak to like people's parents or like older people and they're like, oh, wow, what's your qualification? I'm like, I don't have one. <laughs> I just kind of, you just do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you might not be the most technically advanced or whatever, but especially when it comes to being creative I think even with graphic design I I ended up teaching myself quite a bit of graphic design last year and um I think luckily I have quite a good eye for design mm. yeah because um, your thumbnails are super aesthetic it's oh, like all this you. stuff happening and it's like that just <laughs> would have taken a lot of effort to put together <laughs> yeah they do take a while yeah. to put together um and but I think if you have an eye for something it really helps mm. And then the technical stuff like comes later. I found that with yeah. photography as well, because I really love photography. Um, I like taking like more, more like architectural, like neutral images. Mm. But I think, yeah, if you and I think you just don't set limits for yourself. Yeah, that goes back I to think, the thing about yeah. the Iron Man as well. <laughs> yeah, like if you just think you can do it, just keep going for it and just keep learning and try and learn from the best. And how do you think about your sort of personal brand these days in terms of kind of mid to long term like do you uh, and and so for me for example I, I'm always asking myself you know five years from now ten years from now what am I going to be doing and I often think am I gonna am I, am I still gonna be making YouTube videos in my 40s and 50s that feels feels a bit weird mm. um, and part of me is like hell yeah <laughs> and other part of me is like yeah but who's Who's going to want to listen to a 50-year-old making YouTube videos? So how, how do you think about your, the longevity of your personal brand? That's a really good question. I actually don't know if I've really thought about it too much. I think I'm still at a position where I have lots of content that I want to make. So I don't feel like I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I'm kind of scraping the barrel here. Yeah. Like, I, and I don't, I ne if I get to that stage, I think that might be a place where I go, okay, let's take a step back. Yeah. Like, am I... Because I, I find that just kind of, 
I would find that very unfulfilling, like kind of sad, where it's just like, oh, okay, I really, I have no more ideas. Like, <laughs> what I eat in a day, version twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I think, I mean, especially with your content as well, there's longevity in the content that you make, in the sense that there, there's a depth to your content, so there's more longevity in it. And I think a little bit the same with me. Yeah, I think that's similar in the to you. Like in the sense that for me, I don't think people tune in to just watch me do a haul. Like, no, mm. I, what am I trying to say? Um, I guess people aren't just watching me for me and like the current life that I'm living. Or I think there's more depth to some of the content that mm. I'm making, which has longer longevity. Um, which is why I don't over-sexualize myself as well. Mm. Because I think that the more I do, the more I make it about like physical appearances or things like that, the less longevity, mm. because it's about how you make someone feel. And I want people to feel really good. And I think a feeling lasts longer with you than just a, like an admiration. Yeah. Or you're not deeply thinking about it. I think that's the same for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as a, Dude, the whole Unless sexualizing. You do yourself, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have six pack abs. <laughs> I was sometimes thinking, like, if I had six pack abs, I could do the backflip, slow motion. Then, um, do you ever get that? Uh, how? Because I guess, kind of, a female fitness influencer, there's like a certain aesthetic that does well on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel the temptation of like uh, going down the sexualizing route to to get more views, <laughs> effectively? Um, that's a really good question. I feel like. There were, there are times where I look at something and I'm like, did that, that really did just do well because she has a really big, amazing ass or like whatever it is. I don't feel tempted by it. Sometimes I think, oh, it would have kind of been easier mm. if we do more, like slightly more sex, like more skin. Let's just show more skin. Yeah. Like let's show this angle instead. Yeah. But in the long, I think... The thing about me is I will always play it the long game. Yeah. And that's a very short term game to play. If you're mm. going to play it that way, it's very short term because you're providing someone with like eye candy and that only lasts for so long. Um, and so I have always made it a real effort to not go down that route because it's just not a long term play. And I do really want to be in it for the long term. Um, so you've got like stupidly large amounts of followers on uh, both YouTube and Instagram. I imagine you get people who kind of look up to you as a as a role model creator, uh, even outside the fitness space. So what what advice would you give to maybe someone who is just maybe graduating from uni, not really sure what they want to do, likes the idea of becoming a creator, uh, maybe on the side of their full time job or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and wants to try and emulate your success, for example, what 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 advice would you give? Being passionate about something really helps mm. because just creating something for the sake of creating, I personally find quite difficult if there's not like a purpose for creating something. Um, so going, f having something that they feel really passionate about will come through in their content as well. Yeah. In terms of like just going for it, like, try not to worry about what other people think mm. like it, it just it holds you back and then you're only holding yourself back so if you really want to go if you really want to be a creator then just start making something and don't worry about the first 10 hundred videos being shit because they're all shit they're shit for everyone unless you're an amazing film student mm. which they've already done their hundred videos yeah but like <laughs> at uni yeah. because the the likely the thing is like these your early videos 
they don't really get seen by anyone. But you just need to have them out there so that you know in yourself that you've gone through it and it hasn't just been something that you've spoken about, spoken about doing. Like you've actually gone and done it. Um, so seeing that project through and also giving it time, I think it's really, I think it doesn't help when you hear stories like Charlie D'Amelio getting to five million in like five days. Like those stories don't help because that's really such an outlier the truth is that these things take a really long time and you have to be prepared for it to take a long time. And it's okay if it takes a long time. Like whether or not you end up in YouTube's algorithm is up to YouTube. Like it's mm. not really something you can control. Like, yeah, you can make videos that you think will appeal to a larger audience. Mm. But at the end of the day, like if it doesn't and then it doesn't, like there's, you've, if you've done your best and you've really gone for it, then that's really all you could have asked for. You can't really blame yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. And especially don't be too hard on yourself when you're trying to be a creator because setting up an environment for yourself where you can be creative is a really important thing. I find that I can't be creative if I'm in the wrong environment. It just, it doesn't flow. Like some people are really good. They just, as soon as they're on camera, they just switch it on. Mm. And you might be one of those people. I'm personally not. Like, I'm, I'm quite emotional in the sense that if I'm in the mood for filming, I'm really in the mood for filming. And things, I don't even have to think about it. I'm just like, I know what shot that's going to be. Yeah, this looks amazing. Yeah, I'm really happy with this. Like, things just flow. Um, so if you're creative in that respect, like, be self-aware. I think self-awareness is, is key for everything. Um, it, it helped me so much like in across life not just making YouTube but just being self-aware just what do you mean by self-aware because you said earlier that you weren't self-aware while you were in an undergrad mm -hmm. and it was only after a few years that you suddenly became self-aware uh, what was that process like um, so self-awareness is the ability to look at yourself and how you're behaving right in that moment in mm. a completely impartial state so, and that's a really hard thing to do. Like if you're feeling angry, imagine yourself in third person looking at yourself and being like, you're being angry, like you're a dick or like you're, you're behaving like a dick. Like when you're in that moment and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're that emotional, it's hard to, to think, okay, I'm being really angry. Why am I angry? Or what can I do about it? That I think is, that I think is what self-awareness is. Um, I think for me, it started off with self-reflection okay. where I would behave in a certain way and then I'd look back and be like, oh yeah, I, I kind of behaved really badly or like, or, or however, like yeah. too emotionally or, um, and it's, I think the process of being self-aware is to take that emotion out and be really honest with yourself and not worry about, is, is it that right? Should I have behaved that way? Like, and it is part of understanding your personality. And then once you can understand your personality, you can, you can find solutions for yourself and set things up for yourself that help you in your life. L literally across all of your life. Like, I think the first time I ever developed self-awareness was I was seeing a life coach and um, he specializes in neuro-linguistic processing. And I was frustrated I was frustrated because I was always arguing with my mum and we were always 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 fighting always about the smallest things 
And I, and I said this to him and he was like, okay, let's, let's practice and let's do some self-awareness. I was like, what do you mean? It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's her fault. And he was like, and so we started to kind of like work through that. And I started to realize how I was feeling in the moment and what I could do about it. And it's really about taking control of how you feel in that moment and what you can do about it mm. impartially. And I think it makes you feel, I think over time it's made me a lot better at being a creator as well. Um, and a lot better at balancing life and feeling aware of being self-aware of how I'm feeling in the moment. So talking about balance, like I don't think I've, I don't think that balance is something that I, um, practice every single, I practice it every day, but I don't have balance every day in the sense that I don't have, like, I don't get my workout in, I don't get my like rest time in, I don't get my every day. It doesn't work that way. It's kind kind of snakes around and you go through moments of imbalance and Mm. moments of like balance. And then in the, in the middle, you're sorry, you've got, you go through moments of imbalance. You go through moments of like on both extremities and in the middle you find balance. Okay. Um, and that can be over like the course of a month or a year. Like in the last six months, when I wasn't posting YouTube videos, I was working and disgusting amount. It was disgusting. And I wasn't getting enough sleep and I wasn't working out how I usually work out. And I wasn't doing all these things. And I was self-aware because I knew that that was an unsustainable way to work. And so what can I do about it? I knew that I had to work in that way but it wasn't something that was sustainable. And so I need to find a solution to start to bring that back in. Mm. And so I knew that I had to find a date at which I needed to start slowing things down. Mm. I booked myself a holiday and then I start getting back to moments where I feel like more in balance, catch up on sleep, yeah. start training, finding more of a routine. But I think it's being aware in that moment, how you feel, being really honest with yourself, completely impartially, as if you were just a third person, you didn't even know that person looking in on the situation and thinking, right, how are you behaving? Yeah. How are you acting? How do you feel? Why do you feel that way? What can you do about it? That's a, and it's different from self-reflection. Yeah. So it has to be in that moment. And in that's, the moment. that's and, a really hard part. Okay. And I guess in that moment, you sort of take your own feelings seriously and seriously ask yourself, okay, what, what has happened to kind of make me feel this way? Exactly. So it's not about shutting that emotion out. Mm. You have to feel it, but be aware that you're feeling it and thinking and think about the environment that's around you and thinking, okay, why do I feel this way? What can I do about it? And kind of really taking control. Because I think before there were a lot of things where I was like, oh, I, I, why, why is this happening to me? Blah, blah, blah. And in most of those situations, the cause was always me. Mm. Okay. And it's just about being really honest and not feeling like embarrassed. Like some things it's hard to be honest. You know, when you're answering like a personality test and it's like, I wouldn't do that. But secretly you do. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't think it's a good thing. You just have to be really honest with yourself. Okay. It's the only way you get to like the root of it. Do you spend much time on social media? Uh, yes, large amounts. <laughs> but I, I choose not to. Oh, okay. It doesn't make me feel good. Okay. Like, and I'm self-aware to know that it doesn't make me feel good. So because it doesn't make me feel good, I just, all I do is I just create the content that I want to create. And also I tend to find that seeing too many things, especially in a similar field, starts to cloud my judgment. 
where I was, mm. um, like I'm doing well on my own. Like I, I've found my feet. Like I yeah. know what I want to create. I don't necessarily need external mm. cues as to what I want to make. And I think that's a danger, especially with fitness, where people are looking too much at what other people are doing and they all start to become one. And you start to look as a follower, you start to think, well, everyone's just kind of the same. Like you followed a person for a reason. If everyone feels the same, you've ruined it for everyone. So that's why I don't spend so much mm. time on social media or anything like that. Cause I just, I don't, it doesn't make me feel good and it doesn't help me in my content. Okay. But then I'm trying to make content that does make people feel good. So I'm always trying to make content as like a, as like an anti content, like the content that I, cause a lot of the content just doesn't make me feel good. So I'm thinking, what is it about that content that doesn't make mm. me feel good? And I might get it wrong sometimes. Um, but I always try and make content that would make someone feel, you know, some yeah. people just have that vibe where you look at their page or you look at their content and you're like, oh, yeah, it's like a breath really of, nice. yeah, it's a nice. Yeah, yeah, this is really nice. Some people really have that. And so I tend to stick to those people and yeah. then I, yeah, yeah, I don't spend so much time on it. How, how, how do you come up with ideas for your own stuff? For my Instagram? Uh, for, for, for your own stuff on, oh, on, my like, own stuff. on like YouTube. Because once you've been doing it for four or five years, you said that you've, you've got loads of ideas. Like how, how do you come up with them? How do you save them? Like, what's your process for that? Sometimes it's, sometimes some videos are more like they're situational. So it's things that have happened in my life that I think, okay, this can be quite helpful. It's something that I've never thought about. Speaking about my back injury was something that I would never, I never thought I'd speak about mm. because I'd never had a back injury and I hadn't really had an injury that has impacted me so much in my training. Yeah. Um, so that's that I kind of draw inspiration from events that have happened. Um, and I, and also sometimes with content also, I like to keep up to date with the science. So if there's like a paper that I'm particularly like interested in, mm. or I see something that they've mentioned that's unusual, I'll have a look at it. Um, with nutrition, there's so many things you can talk about. I think the thing that I try and do is I try not to put myself in a box. So as much as, as much as I am in kind of the fitness space, I can also dig into wellness. Yeah. I can also dig into like the broader, like how do you integrate health and fitness into a lifestyle or, or like a more productive lifestyle. There's, I, and also like actually creating, just being creative. Like, I, I guess I don't, like to put myself in just like a, a fitness box and that's all I do and that's all I'll specialize in. Um, cause as a creator, I think that makes you, I think that narrows you down. Mm. Whereas ra rather than narrowing stuff down, it's good to keep your, your eyes open to, to what's going on around you. And so, yeah. um, and so I also like looking at things with the fitness industry from a business perspective. Um, and I like, I have lots of, different interests from different fields that I try and draw into my own content. Okay. So I think there's a, there's a balancing act there where a lot of the traditional advice on how to grow on YouTube would say that you want to find your niche and you want to stick to your niche and stick to your lane and niche down to blow up. Um, and yet at the same time, when you have like a sort of a personal YouTube channel like you and I do, where we have all these different interests and we want to talk about them, mm. 
do you do you ever feel that tension that like well i maybe want to talk about this thing but ah oh, i'm a, i'm a, i'm sort of in the fitness health wellness space and i'm maybe not allowed to talk about that thing do you do you worry yeah. about that at all yeah sometimes like yeah i do get that okay. i do feel like sometimes like there'll be a vlog that i want to make that i'll have to word in a particular way mm. or like market in a particular way so that people don't feel like it's too much of a change from the other content that i make um but on the whole, I, ha I don't think I've reached that point too much yeah. yet. I still feel like I have a really solid amount of content that I want to make. Um, and there's a lot of collaborations that I want to do as well. And that helps as well bring in, like, widen the space as well. Nice. Um, I don't know. Did that help? Did that help? No, no, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I was going to ask. So you, so you said that when you were going through your undergrad, mm -hmm. if someone had asked you, how are you, you would have kind of burst into tears because like that's a big question yeah um and you and you said that you're not you weren't particularly happy back then yeah do you do you think you're you're happy now yeah okay yeah i'm really happy now i think i think before i like i was saying i had no self-awareness so that meant that i would continually have four hours of sleep and not do anything about it mm. because i just in the moment didn't wasn't being honest with myself. Like, are you tired? 100% yes. Mm. Um, but I didn't ever take a step back and think, right, this is how you sort the problem out. All I kept doing, I just kept doing the same thing, yeah. just on repeat. So being able to develop self-awareness for anyone, I think is like, just is so helpful. It helps you in realizing like who you are, what environment works best for you. I'm more of an introvert as well. So surrounding myself by lots of people mm. doesn't help me. I like sometimes just having real alone time or just being around people who just don't draw lots of energy out of me. And I think being self-aware, you can be honest with yourself and, and manage your life so that things work better for you. Okay. What are the bits of your life where when you don't have them, you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit off balance? I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, do you find that you're happier when, when, when you train during the day? Do you find that you're happier when you, I don't know, get eight hours of sleep? Like, have you figured out what those things are for yourself yeah, that so, make you more content and happy and stuff? Yeah. So I'm just naturally quite an active person. I like being active. I don't necessarily have to be in the gym, but I like being active. Um, I also like being outdoors. Um, and yeah, I, I function so much better if I sleep better. So yeah, those, those three <laughs> those things, basic things yeah. yeah, those basic things. Like, yeah. I think that's why, that's why I really like your office. Oh. It's why yeah. I like the place that I chose yeah. um, to live in because it's got lots of light and I don't feel like, I, I feel like I can see mm. the outside and it makes, it might not make a big difference for other people, but for me, it really makes a difference. Yeah. Um, just to feel like I can just see the outdoors. Yeah, I, I, I noticed myself, I, I kind of struggled during COVID because that whole restriction of like being able to go outside and like going out and doing things that I know helped me, I couldn't do. So that's why I like, I did struggle during COVID. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think as long as you just keep working on that self-awareness, it really helps. Amazing. <laughs> um, so I've got a few questions to end with, with, with which are more like... Um, Sort of rapid fire in the sense that um, the questions are rapid, but the answers don't necessarily have to be. Okay. So if we're, we're down to just sort of go in, in random directions. Okay. Um, so what advice would you give to your younger self? Start practicing self-awareness straight away. 
<laughs> Amazing. Okay. Uh, who has had the biggest influence in your career? Uh, Mario. Okay. How so? Um, so he has an, in he's one of those people that is emotionally intelligent and just intelligent, mm. like just baseline. Um, he has always had really good self-awareness. So he's really been able to like assess situations, but just more than that, like he's taught me so much about business, about managing myself, managing my life. He is my manager. Um, how to work effectively, productively, um, how to manage relationships, how to, yeah, just, he's, yeah, it, Mario, for sure, <laughs> always. Great. Um, what's one tip for someone who's looking for success? Be prepared to work really hard and you have to make sacrifices mm. in order to get there. Like it's not, I don't think success comes without sacrifice. Oh, interesting. That's a, Would that's you a nice disagree? Quote. No, that's a nice quote. Success doesn't come without sacrifice. Um, I don't know. So there's a big, well, there's a sort of uh, movement these days, a sort of the anti-hard work movement. Okay. Um, and interesting. I think, I think like, it's like... Um, to be successful. Yeah. Or is it an anti-hard worker to have a nice life? Or is it an anti-hard work to be successful? I think it's an anti-hard work to have a nice life rather than to be successful, which okay. is where the, where, where, where the nuance is. But I guess kind of back in the day, uh, kind of I'm thinking Gary Vaynerchuk kind of vibes of like, you got to hustle, you got to work really hard so that you can build a business, etc. And especially kind of post-pandemic, um, it seems like the idea of hard work and hustling and productivity in, in some spheres is getting a bit of a bad rep that hey, we shouldn't be promoting hard work. We should be promoting healthy living and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, and the way I, I always think of it, it's like, well, it kind of depends on what your goal is. Like if you want to win gold at the, at the Olympics, you know, you aren't going to get there without like sacrificing a lot of things along the way. 100%. But if you want like a pretty chilled out, nice balanced life, then by all means, go for it. And I think it's important for, for people. And this is certainly what I'm trying to do is figure out like, what do I actually want here? Or what am I optimizing for? I think I've gone through that same phase as well, where mm. it there was a point where I actually had not an argument, but just like um, speaking about it with with my cousin, who I'm really close to, and she was like, "I feel like I I never see you," and that's and I think at that point I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I've sacrificed so much that the people that I love, like I just don't see. Yeah. Like I, I don't have time for, I'm not making time for them. So there is, there is that. I think maybe instead of like, I think also you have to work smart. Mm. So one of the things that I used to do when I was younger is I would work really hard, but it was so fucking inefficient. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't know what I was spending my time doing. It just was not efficient. Mm. So I think being really smart with how you work and spending time doing the right things and especially with fitness, like there's a seasonality to it. I'm not going to make a ton of fitness videos around Christmas time. Mm. Waste of time. Yeah. We complete waste of time. Yeah. January, okay. March, okay. But like around Christmas time, like I'm not, I'm just not going to stress myself out mm. with stuff that people just aren't interested. People want to enjoy Christmas. I want to enjoy Christmas. Mm. Like it's just not the right time to be putting all of your effort into doing something when it's just not going to give you that much return. Um, so I think working smart is, 
Nice. Smart way to go. What does the first and last hour of your day look like? First hour of my day looks like just first hour is emails. I just keep checking my emails, um, which kind of isn't an amazing thing to do. Right. This is like very present. Um, It's not an amazing thing to do to just wake up and look at your phone. Mm. But I am guilty of it. And um, last hour of the day, I'm just a potterer. I just potter around, just check the plants. Oh, nice. <laughs> like take ages, like ages brushing my teeth, just doing things that's not really anything. That's my last hour. Fair play. <laughs> that seems very counter to the, well, well, I mean, I would have expected a wake up at five, do a meditation, do a go for a run, that, that whole sort of, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people think like people have very much have an idea of what health and fitness yeah. looks like. Um, but ain't nobody got time for that. Not if you want like, not if you want to also have like a working life and stuff like mm. that. Like I can imagine that for like the retired, the retired, like feel good retreat kind of life. Yeah. But no, I don't have time to do all of that. What material item under a hundred pounds could you not live without? I'm trying to think that I couldn't live without. I'm yeah. quite good at stripping things no, from my sure. life. What's yours? Maybe that'll give me an idea. Oh, that's a good, good question. Um, Your glasses, maybe they're above a hundred. Yeah, no, I think. Um, I guess the way I I I think of it is like, what's a like a thing that has that sort of underrated that people don't. Oh, and, and so okay. for me at university, it was like a five quid doorstop. I would just like wedge my door open at all times, and my social life was ten times more interesting than if my door was closed by default. So like nice that thing. little thing had such an enormous impact on my uni experience that I now recommend it to everyone. Oh, <laughs> everyone okay. just get a doorstop. <laughs> that is a nice one. Um, I guess I would say my diary. Oh, you have a diary? Yeah. Is it like a physical diary? Yeah. Well, I, I, I used to keep a diary yeah. from when I was about five to 18, oh, strict. Incredible. It's actually really crazy reading back. <laughs> it's like crazy. Um, and now I kind of enter into it every like now and then okay. I don't, I don't journal. Yeah. It's more just like when I'm really feeling something like I'll just write, write, write. Mm. But yeah, I have a diary. Nice. Do you I have several diaries? Like a whole. Yeah. You've got a whole collection. Yeah. A whole collection. And do you find it's, uh, it's, it's helpful to kind of process your thoughts? I think it's helpful. Yeah. Especially because the process of writing like really slows down. Yeah. It's not like, like typing. typing yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really just slows everything down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it helpful also because it's no one is ever going to read it. Well, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully no one's ever going to read it. So you can really just put whatever you want and then you can really be like, okay, that's you're being over the top there or, mm. or however. I just find it quite therapeutic. I just like getting my ink pen out for it. So yeah, it's nice. Oh, very fancy. <laughs> um, if you lost everything, how would you start a business again? Sounds really, I, I don't know if it sounds really arrogant. I feel like I could do anything. Mm. I could be of service to anyone. Also, I have no embarrassment of doing like a, like I don't have a, oh, I can't do that kind of job. Like I, I used to clean. I used to, um, I used to work as a lifeguard, like as in, I, all, I've done so many jobs. I used to be a waitress. Like I used to just do like pots and pans. I used to just go around and clean people's cars. Mm. Like I don't have any embarrassment yeah. of what job I need to do. Yeah. So I would just start from there, okay. build up, invest. I don't have a, I don't have much of a 
I don't spend a lot of money. Like I'm not mm. really much of a spender. Just save and invest and and just go about it from there, really. Amazing. Um, what book would you recommend to, to everyone? Just one. Oh, well, one, two, three. Like I'm, I'm always interested in Maybe one thing. The one thing. Oh, yeah, Gary Keller. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mastery. Mastery, Robert Greene? I think uh, so. Yeah. And Quiet. Quiet. Oh, okay. Quiet yeah, the, is a really good one, actually. Su- that that one would top one, it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I guess you identify as an introvert. So that's like a very introvert type book. I also feel like it's really relevant nowadays, especially for like, especially, well, especially in my industry for social media, in social media, like people say things with so much confidence doesn't mm. mean they're right. Mm. Like not everyone should have, not everyone, if you don't know about something, you shouldn't be speaking about something because you just don't know. Like I don't talk about stuff I don't know because I don't know. It would be wrong of me to talk about it. Um, and so I think it's important in this day and age. Nice. Um, what quote or mantra do you live by? There's one from Eleanor Roosevelt, which is, it goes along the lines of, um, you won't worry so much about what others think about you if you realize how seldom they do. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good, a good one. one. What's like yours? If, um, mine is probably um, Journey Before Destination. Nice. <laughs> I think I've heard you say that before, actually. It's one of my usual spiels. <laughs> I just love it. I just think it applies to, to all areas of life. Um, yeah, what's your take on that? Journey or destination? Journey or destination? Um, I have fallen for the just reach the destination, don't worry about the journey. Mm. Like, I, I think I, if, like, being honest with myself, have gone into things where I, the journey is shit, mm. but at the end I'll get somewhere. Um, I think it's just about measuring, like, where that's accept, where the line, like, if that's an acceptable yeah. way to live by things for certain, in certain circumstances. Yeah. When it comes to your life, it probably helps to go through like the journey because yeah, <laughs> and the journey teaches you so much as well. Like I think that's the whole thing about like success, like overnight success can sometimes be really harmful because you can learn so much from the journey. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, the way I think of it is like the journey is is really all that we have at the end of the day. Mm. Like I don't know about you, but but for me, when I kind of accomplish a goal. There isn't really any sort of lasting satisfaction from that. And it's more about that, huh, you know, the friends I made along the way, was it fun? In fact, that kind of thing. Did I learn something? Do you think because do you, are you one of those people who once you've achieved a goal, you just kind of shrug it off? Yeah, I think I'm really bad at celebrating wins and things. It's like, all right, cool. That's fine. It doesn't change my day. <laughs> still going to grab a cup of coffee. Still going to make a video. Like the, I, I feel like whatever happens, I'll just potter around doing, doing my thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I also do the same where it's like, I'm not very good at celebrating an achievement. I just kind of, mm. yeah. On to the next. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, it's been an absolute thank pleasure. You for having um, me. We'll put links to all of your things in the video description, in the show notes, oh, whether people fine. are watching or listening to this, um, where I guess, yeah. Where can people find you? Any projects you want to shout out or drive, try and, uh, get, get some people to, to check out. Um, so you can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, you won't find me on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet anyway. And, um, yeah, I work with dietitians. If you're looking for training programs that are scientifically backed, I've got your back and that's pretty much it. Sick. 
That's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you very much for listening. All of Natasha's links and all the resources we discussed will be in the show notes and in the video description if you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you did enjoy the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be fantastic so that more people can discover the content and the podcast. Thank you so much and catch you later.